Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big, we go all night, and here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hello and welcome to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California. 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. Joined by Armani Buckets, Brandon Deutsch is not here. <laughs> I'm so used to saying Brandon. He's been the one constant. He is at the Big A, covering uh, two games there for the Sporting Tribune. But it is the one and only Grant Money Mona. I'll start with you, Grant. Grant, how are you? I'm doing well, doing well. It's uh, it's an early, beautiful day um, in Arash. I just uh, I, I can smell the Vegas weather. I can just smell <laughs> yeah, it. Right. It's, it, it. It's it's upon us. I, I'm I'm getting there. So I'm I'm locked in on that this weekend. <laughs> Very good, Darmani buckets. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, spent last night watching Swamp Kings. I almost made it through episode one. Uh, no spoilers, but I'm a big fan of those untold documentaries by Netflix. I really like them. Um, yeah, it was uh, very interesting, especially for someone who, when Urban Meyer got to Florida, I was 11 years old, so I wasn't too familiar with the uh, the ins and outs of Florida University of Florida, but it, it was good. I recommend it. So I wanted to get your thoughts on this because you brought it up and I wasn't expecting to talk about it until I saw it. Um, so one of these things with these new documentaries, the Untold series, and I, and I must admit that I really do like their series. And we talked to one of the producers of the Jake Paul doc. Um, so the issue a lot of people have with Swamp Kings in particular, and this kind of tied in some of the other documentaries in this Untold series, including Johnny Manziel, where, you know, effectively to get these guys to green light it or for them to participate in it, um, you know, they have to have some creative control. And a lot of people felt when they saw, um, Urban Meyer, participating to the extent that he did this would be a favorable documentary so uh you know one person jim weber uh tweeted this out and um i don't want to ruin anything but listen i mean this is just history and again if you're not familiar with what happened at the university of florida during this time the things i'm about to say won't mean anything to you but if you're someone who was covering that team was familiar with that team and the reasons why you would have been intrigued by this documentary but perhaps might not be now is because of this according to jim weber and again he's watched the entire documentary I have not, but Jim tweeted just off the top of my head, things omitted from the doc include any mention of Baron Hernandez besides Tim Tebow taking blame for the 2007 bar fight. Obviously, that's huge right there. Um, anything about the Pouncey twins, Cam Newton's stolen laptop, 
Percy Harvin attacking the wide receivers coach. Uh, Carlos Dunlap being arrested prior to the 2009 um, um, SEC championship game. Shelly Myers' 911 call and Urban Meyer going to a hospital with chest pains the entire 2010 season, including the Urban Meyer versus the reporter Jeremy Fowler uh, confrontation at practice. Chris Rainey threatening to kill his girlfriend. Again, these are a lot of reasons why there was so much drama around that team. All of those, all of those, according to uh, Jim, who watched the doc, um, are not a part of it. And so uh, having said all that, and again, if you're not familiar with the team, you, uh, I, I guess my my question is, and um, Marmon, I'll pose it to you before I get Grant's thoughts. Does that change things? I mean, I think there's some people who feel like, listen, if if the subject has creative control or if they have say-so in terms of what you can touch on and what you can't, that does affect them telling the entire story. Does that change how you view the doc now? Yes, it does. I, you know, I think that historical accuracy is important to a really good documentary. Now, that doesn't change how I feel when I watch it, how entertained I am, because I, I'm still entertained watching it. But you have to kind of take it with more of a grain of salt because it's not telling and painting the whole picture and the whole story. Um, yeah, they were saying similar things about um, the Johnny Manziel doc. I forget what they had omitted, but there were similar talks about that, about how it was kind of painting him from his perspective. I think they were saying that not enough talk about his Browns tenure and um, stuff like that. So, yeah, it is problematic, but also they probably don't get Urban Meyer's approval, right, if, if, they, yeah. if they don't do it that way. So I think it's a yin and yang where you, you kind of do want Meyer and, and kind of almost have to have him, but at the same time, if that meant omitting a lot of what made that story so intriguing and really like, again, the Jacksonville part of Bourbon story isn't a part of this one, but it, I think it does help maybe paint the picture of the, of the coach he was at that time. Grant, you know, when, when you hear about these docs and uh, effectively maybe, and again, we, we have not found out for certain, by the way, that that's how these docs came to be. But generally speaking, people who have tried to talk to Urban Meyer about Florida, tried to talk to Johnny Menzel about his life story, it's effectively yes, but I have control. And so if, if that is the deal you have to make, does that ruin or does that change? Does that affect how you view the, the documentary? I don't, I don't know because, like Armand said, it's still entertainment and it's still dramatic. So I guess it still fulfills its purpose. But if you're looking at it from a perspective to where you know I watch those teams play, and if you're looking at it from a sports fan's perspective, you want to know all the details, right? You around that team, uh, you know, at that time, there is a lot of things coming coming out. And, you know, this is where you finally get to get the details. You finally get to get all the juicy stuff about it. And when we say documentary, we're documenting everything that happened most of the time. You know, now we have creative, like Arash said, creative control into things and people, you know, don't accept the roles that they want, whatever it may be. Um, 
I don't think it changes the fact that this is going to be a very sought after documentary. People are going to watch this a lot because they want to know about this team, rightfully so. But, you know, when you leave out, I mean, you had a very long list of things that were omitted, which I'm sure a lot of sports fans, myself included, would have liked to see in that documentary, would have liked to see not all of it because, you know, a lot of the stuff is a very touchy subject. I understand that. But if you're going to make a documentary about a team that had so many things going on around around that team, you kind of want to know some of the juicy details as a sports fan i would like to know because i was watching those teams and i remember these headlines coming out so like armand said it is an entertaining thing and it's still going to be entertaining but leaving out some of those things it does diminish it a little bit but i don't think to the to the point where people are just going to be like oh i'm not going to watch it because there's a lot of gator fans there's a lot of people that want to see you know a story about this team and then to your point, Grant, I mean, the uh, tweets that, that are coming out against the doc are getting millions of views. Right. Like, you know, the uh, tweet that I read had over 2 million views. There's one more tweet, very similar in terms of what's not included, over 2 million views. So what's going to happen is whether you like it or not, I mean, you're going to watch it. Uh, so uh, I, I think uh, whether you agree with what they did in order to get these uh, folks to participate, at the end of the day, you're for sure going to watch the, the doc. I, I will say yes. I mean, listen, there's a lot of things omitted that when you're talking about a four-part series, you have to include some of those things. And speaking of, Great college football programs. A big story is is taking place in right in our backyard here at USC. Reggie Bush, 2005 Heisman Trophy winner, um, has filed a defamation lawsuit against the, the, the DNCAA. Uh, this is not as big of a scope as you may think it is. It is really. Um, it really has to deal with one quote that happened after the name and the image and likeness uh, became legal and players were um, able to, uh, you know, to sign deals and endorsement deals and effectively become millionaires away from the field and away from the court. Uh, Bush, if you remember, didn't become a millionaire. His, his parents, I think, got like a $10,000 um, house. I think he may have gotten a car. Again, all things that really pale in comparison to what players make now. Now, the issue at hand or what Bush's lawsuit is pertaining is a quote from an NCAA representative. And I'll read the quote right now because I, I did agree at the time when I read it that it was not a factual quote. And, and again, some people, um, listen, it was a very long investigation that they did. And so I think it's some, so sometimes in our rush to basically paint something under one quick brush or, uh, you know, put one quick sentence to describe it, uh, we use the, the wrong words. So the lawsuit, according to his lawyer, states specifically on July 28, 2021, so this was only a couple of years ago, the NCAA by and through its authorized spokesperson falsely issued a statement to reporters that because of Mr. Bush's prior involvement in a, quote, pay-for-play arrangement, the NCAA would not consider restoring his collegiate records that is vacated, that it vacated in 2010, which subsequently resulted in Mr. Bush having to return his Heisman Trophy. Um, 
Within less than a day, these false statements were republished by no less than 20 different media organizations and circulated to readers around the world. And so what, they're, what they are saying is, listen, new rules in place. Let's now look at it through a clear lens. What Reggie Bush did, which was not pay for play. So, I mean, they are they are right there. You know, what, what, what pay for play insinuates is that USC uh, paid Bush to play. That was not the case. If, if you guys remember, Reggie Bush accepted benefits or compensation from a uh, someone who wanted to represent him when he became a professional. Again, a lot of this stuff is happening now. A lot of this stuff is happening above board. Caleb Williams, for example, is a multimillionaire. Caleb Williams, when he travels for any uh, private engagements, even when he went to and from the Heisman Trophy, flies private. I mean, it's a different world now. And you really can't even compare it to what Bush got or what his parents got. And again, they didn't get it from USC. It wasn't a pay-to-play deal. It was from a third party. It was someone who wanted to represent Bush once he graduated. So that is a long, convoluted way of asking you guys, how do you see this playing out? Here's my two cents on it. It is really hard to win a defamation lawsuit. It is very hard to win a defamation lawsuit. I really don't know if their goal here is to win. I think it, it, it's about, this is sort of his first step towards getting this being talked about. USC, by the way, has to, uh, and they have, again, in 2020, USC finished their 10-year disassociation agreement that they made. Uh, so they welcomed him back. He's able to come to games and he's able to talk to the team. He's able to do all that good stuff. USC has to re-retire his jersey. Again, I understand why they had to unretire it during a 10-year time period where they had to disassociate themselves from Bush. Now that he's back, he won the Heisman. He won the Heisman. And so you retire the jerseys of players who have won the Heisman. It is very clear when you look at O.J. Simpson's number that they that they don't really care what you've done post winning the Heisman. Yes, <laughs> b- b- the Bush situation is unique in the sense that he had the Heisman taken away from him. But listen... USC retiring a jersey has nothing to do with the NCAA. USC controls who, whose number they retire. And the fact of the matter is this. They have effectively retired his number. No, no one has worn that number since Bush. And that includes the 10-year disassociation period. So, listen, the... the I don't know if Bush is ever going to get his Heisman back. I think the, the I think kick everyone wants to watch what everyone else is going to do. The biggest issue I have is everyone's watching what the NCAA is going to do, and the, the NCAA is the worst group in all of this. So the Heisman Trust, you don't need to wait for the NCAA. Give him back his Heisman. USC, you of all the groups, don't need to wait for anybody. You, USC, back in that time period, Reggie Bush was the biggest celebrity in Los Angeles at that time. Um, I mean, it, you know, listen, him and Kobe were like one and one A. I mean, just when, 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 when Bush was doing what he was doing and he was going out with Kim Kardashian and they winning the championship, I mean, he was a superstar. So, um, how do you guys think this will all play out? Grant, I will start with you. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, like you said, defamation lawsuits are very tough to win. So I like like you said, I think that it's going to be an awareness project. It's going to be, hey, look at what I have done for you for the program look at what i was at that time and look at what these guys are getting now compared to what i did and you're right arash like reggie bush was one of the like he was one of the most popular athletes not just in southern california in the world like the things that this guy was doing on a football field probably won't be replicated by a college running back i mean this guy was torching defenses he was bringing so much money into the program so much money to the ncaa this guy i mean you know arashi mentioned this is that the USC part of it and the USC entity is different from the NCAA entity. The NCAA thing is ongoing. Yeah. USC should have his number at the Coliseum retired right now. What he did for that program and what he was for that program around the time that he played was nothing short of remarkable. I mean, he brought them a national title. Uh, he won the Heisman. You could say they took it away. Fine. But if you look at, the, at that year that he won it, his name is still going to be there because you can't just have nobody there. He was that good. And for a, a program like USC, as established as they are, and like you said, they have OJ Simpson, and obviously it's different, you know, a, a different timeline and, and different scenarios. But for a guy like Reggie Bush, for as popular as he was, for as good as he was, for he kind of revolutionized the running back spot. He was a powerful, fast running back. You gotta have his number at least at USC retired. I don't care. I, yeah. I, I don't know about the NCA thing, and I, I hope that more of this comes to light, more awareness to the situation comes to light because Reggie Bush was that electric. He was that good. And look, after his career, Reggie Bush has been nothing but a professional. He's been a great analyst. He has been a great mentor to some of these guys. You know, say what you want about his time at USC. Whatever. He's been such a great guy after his career that you can kind of put that into perspective too. So I'm all with you. I think USC should do something about it aside from the NCAA. Yeah. Armando Buckets, what, what is your general thoughts here? Because again, I, I think what Bush was, it, it, it was one of those things where, yes, like obviously at that time period, you, you could not accept in, improper benefits, quote unquote, the fact of the matter is, one of the things we saw in the Johnny Menzel doc, he certainly admitted he accepted improper benefits. The majority of Heisman winners, the reason they are sympathetic to Bush, and you talk to them one by one, the, the, they don't all come out and say it the way Johnny Menzel has and the way some of these other players have. They know they all accepted something that they weren't supposed to. And they all know that if a, if a group of reporters or the media... Uh, got behind that story and if someone leaked it and all that, like there is not, I, I, I don't even want to give a percentage, but I mean, it's the majority of people, of players who won the Heisman trophy over the past 20, 30 plus years accepted something improper at some point during their career. So their feeling is Bush wanted on the field and this was not a pay for play thing. I mean, so that is one part of this lawsuit that they are right about. I don't think it's enough to win it. Our money buckets, how do you think this all plays out? It reminds me of when you're on the freeway and everybody around you is speeding, but yeah. somehow you're the one that gets pulled over and gets a ticket for it. It just, you know, now nowadays with NIL and all these things, you would assume that there would be more leniency, there would be more understanding, we would be more forgiving, but maybe I'm just naive. 
that's how I would assume the things would go. Um, Reggie Bush was an icon, as you guys mentioned, and is an icon. USC needs to do right by him and re-retire the jersey, as you guys mentioned. But yeah, the Heisman, it just makes no sense with where we're at now as a society. We can't be a little bit more forgiving and understanding, considering the fact that we we know that all these athletes were doing these things. So I, I just, yeah, I feel bad for Reggie. I don't think he's going to win the lawsuit. But as you guys mentioned, I do think it is to more so not to win the lawsuit, but to spread awareness to get his message out there. Exactly. And, and, and I think that it, it, it will do its part there because everyone's talking about it. That certainly grabs the headlines when you're saying Reggie Bush sues the NCAA. Like that'll grab headlines. That'll get people talking. It's a little bit like, listen, I mean, if you were arrested for something that was illegal 10 years ago and it's no longer illegal, they relitigate those like, 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 like they will, uh, you know, marijuana is the biggest example. And the reason that I bring that up is when you look at the actual facts, not what people think, not what people conjecture. When you look at the actual facts of what Bush and his family accepted compared to where we are now in terms of if you are one of the top tier players, again, if you're the best example, if you're Caleb Williams, you are right now a multimillionaire who travels in private jets and you are uh, suited via, you know, Giorgio Armani and Gucci. And, and, and that's that's our current state of collegiate sports and compared to previously. Oh, my God. Bush's family is living in a $10,000, um, you know, home or something like that. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. All right, Grant. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, that is all. Uh, well, well, let's leave it there for now. When we come back, we'll be joined by the Sporting Tribune's Willie Ramirez. When we come back right here on the Marty 1090 in Southern California, the Bet in Las Vegas and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. We'll be right back with the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Time. There's nothing more valuable. It's what drives everyone to make the most of every moment. We celebrate living large in the now. In a city where time disappears, we create experiences that electrify the soul and memories that will last forever. We go big. We go all night. And here, everyone is invited. So get loose and get loud. This is Circa. You'll have the time of your life. This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back to the Arash Markazi Show presented by the Sporting Tribune on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio in Southern California, 98.5 The Bet in Las Vegas, and the Hawaii Sports Radio Network, 95.1 FM and AM 760 in Hawaii. Uh, just as a reminder, if you have a question or comment or want to win tickets to an upcoming game in Southern California, Las Vegas, or Hawaii. Call our hotline, 310-400-0340. All right, let's go out to the Circus Sports Guest Hotline and join our friend, my man, the guy who took me under his wing in Las Vegas, Willie Ramirez. Willie, how are you? What's up, Barash? How are you? Good. Um, Glad to be on the show. Willie, you were enjoying your uh, Tuesday when I was watching uh, Major Wilson have a historic performance, and I said there's only one man who could put this performance into proper context. <laughs> I mean, we knew that Las Vegas was going to win, 
But Asia Wilson tying the WNBA record, 53 points. Again, we knew of her greatness, and you wrote about it in a fantastic column that is leading the Sporting Tribune today. When you saw what she did and saw the final box score, and you having covered her the way that you have, put into proper context what she just did. Um. <clears throat> I, I think she sort of cemented herself from an earlier column that I wrote um, at the beginning of the season in that she she's the face of the league. You know, there's a reason Sabrina Ionescu's on. A lot of people were upset that she's on the cover of the women's version for 24, or 24K. But obviously the number is symbolic because Kobe's on it and those two, they had a tie. So yeah. a lot of people were a little distraught um, in the fact that, well, why is Sabrina on it, not Asia Wilson? Justifiably so. She has become the face of the league with what she's done basically since the bubble yeah. uh, when she won her first MVP. I think this solidifies who the face, who the representation, and who's going to usher the WNBA sort of into the next era or the era that we're in, who's taking it from here. Um, I, I I recently wrote a story on Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson and, and the rivalry that we have, um, they're, they're in two different conferences. They play a handful of times a year. It, it's, it, it was likened to Magic and Bird by Chelsea Gray, who arguably is the best point guard in the league. Um, and it makes sense. So, you know, I think in every conversation that you have in the WNBA, um, Asia Wilson's name is magnified. Um, she personifies the, 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 um, the ultimate team player, the ultimate team leader, the locker room gal, the the on court dominator, um, everything that you want in a, in a franchise person, and I think that's what we saw last night in terms of her hoisting the team on her back. Atlanta's given this team fits, um, no matter how far down Atlanta's been down in games this season. <laughs> this team is never out of it, and it's it's a credit to Tanisha Wright and her tenaciousness and what she's done a former assistant coach with the Las Vegas Aces. So Asia Wilson, as I've said before, I, I was I was interviewed by a radio host. They asked me, if you were going to start a team right now, this was a couple of weeks ago, who would you take? Now, at the time, my explanation on Brianna Stewart was that I think Brianna Stewart and what she ha has been doing, has been doing at both ends of the court, in every aspect of her game, is the most all-around complete player. The, the most dominating player is Asia Wilson. And there are two different things, it, two different you know aspects there. When you think about the comparison for many years of KD and LeBron, right? There was that, who's the greatest player in the world? And many would say KD's all-around game. They would argue what he brought to the court from every angle. LeBron, the most dominating force in the league. I think it's the same type of comparison. But with what you saw last night, it, it, it solidifies she's the face of the league. She's probably the front runner for the MVP. And when she wants to take over a game, she is the most dominating force in the game and can do what she wants at her free will for the most part. You know, there are ways to defend her. There are ways there are going to be teams that give her fits. We saw Liberty give her fits, but that's what we saw, and I think that's what we take from this.
Really, I, I was not sure if we would get any drama this season. Again, we, we begin the season by talking about the two super teams, Las, Las Vegas and New York. It didn't really pan out that way at the beginning of the season for New York. That's not the case now. You know, I mean, they've, they've played each other four times. It's 2-2. And not only has New York won twice, they've blown Las Vegas out twice. They won the Commissioner's Cup. They've won in Las Vegas. It really sets up a very nice, if if things pan out the way that we think that they will, a very historic, a very... Uh, when I say transcendent WNBA finals, I think if you're not a WNBA fan, you're going to get pulled into this. Um, how significant will this be for the league and that there, that, that we do have some drama? Again, I, the way things were going at the beginning of the season, Willie, and we sat together at a couple of games, you know, like even if it's close for a half, Vegas would go on to win by, by 20. Great for them. Not maybe so great for the league. I really think it's great right now. If we get Vegas and New York in the finals, I think the the, the, the more people will be watching those games uh, than, than have been a long, long time. Yeah, and, you know, Kelsey Plum summed it up where she was like, you know, this phrase super team has gotten out of context because – in a sense, you know, they brought, yes, they brought in Candace Parker, and yes, they brought in Alicia Clark. Candace Parker's now injured. Alicia Clark is one of the two, in my opinion, one of the two favorites to win sixth woman of the year, along with Connecticut's Dejanay Carrington. Um, New York brings in uh, Brianna and Courtney Vandersloot and um, John Quell Jones. First part of the season, I think what we saw in New York was that Sandy Brundello was trying to figure out what do I do with John Quell Jones? How do I fit her in the mix? And how does she blend what she brings when you have the likes of Brianna Stewart in this lineup? So Courtney Vandersloot, I absolutely is one of my favorite interviews annually. I do something for her hometown paper um, and she's fantastic. But I, I think there's been time and time again, we have seen, against some of the younger, better point guards, faster, quicker. Um, she's been gobbled up. She's still efficient. She's still effective. And um, she she can throw on a dime. She can drive the lane. She's still got her quick little trigger. Um, but I, I'm not sold on the whole super team. It's just that they have emerged to the top of the of the league at, at the time where you expect it. You look at a team like the Minnesota Lynx, who – which was horrendous at the beginning of the season. But every time I look at a game that they're playing, the very first person I think of is Cheryl Reeve. I say, you cannot forget who's coaching this team. And that's a team that's going to cause some problems, possibly if they get into the playoffs because of the coaching. So that being said, with the, with the dynamics of the different teams in the WNBA and the coaching prowess that we have seen in with the different teams, it's 100% – 100% um, a necessity, I think, for the WNBA that they need the Aces and the Liberty in the WNBA Finals. Does that mean that it's not going to be popular, that it's going to lose its appeal? No. But with the build-up this season, with everything that we've seen, beginning of the season, as you mentioned, the All-Star Weekend, where we're at now, the reasons why the Liberty have beaten the Aces the way that they have and in figuring out that, hey, we're going to clamp down on the secondary uh, scorers. We know that Asia Wilson is going to do what she's going to do, so we're going to double up. There have been there were times in the last game where Alicia Clark wasn't even guarded. 
Jackie Young was left wide open. They just didn't press her. They they focused more on you know certain players double teaming and knowing that Asia was going to do let her go one on one with Bree. So Sandy Bardellos figured it out. Um, obviously Becky Hammond is is a Hall of Famer. She knows what she's doing. She's got a she's got a lineup that she can um, that she can mix and match and rotate with. I thought it was really interesting. Natasha Cloud from the Mystics and I had a conversation at All-Star. And I said, is Las Vegas beatable? She said, yes, absolutely, because their bench is not proven. They had, they don't have – they don't go to it enough. They don't go deep enough on it. And if someone can defend them properly, I mean, she basically broke it down. And that's what we've seen from the Liberty. It doesn't mean that every team is going to be able to do it because they need to have the scoring options as well. But a Liberty Aces – WNBA final will be epic and it'll be the start of something special for as long as those players can continue to mesh. You know, there's going to be drop off because of salary cap, because of players are going to have to get paid. Um, they're going to have to pay, you know, you know, one of the, one of the best reserve players that's grown in just two years, Kirsten Bell. I don't know if she's going to be along around much longer because she's going to have to get a raise. And I don't know, you know, how you weigh that against what you have at the top of your lineup. So questions in the future abound, but um, – and, and with Courtney Vandersloot, how long is she going to last a point guard? Would they bring somebody in? Who would they bring in, you know? So um, it would be very special to get the Liberty and the Aces in the WNBA Finals. Yeah. I, I love that we're finally having somebody that's as, as passionate about WNBA as um, – I think as a Ross and uh, myself, but I wanted to switch gears really quick, Willie, to um, my favorite subject of them all, um, sports betting. I wanted to talk to you about um, your possible dark horses in the NFL. Um, I had Cincy before the injury to Burrow and everything. Um, I'm just wondering who your dark horse might possibly be. Well, you know, I just did some ghostwriting, and I actually um, I wrote – some win totals, and I just called I, I called it my prisoner of the moment uh, takes, and it's basically after the first two weeks of the season for win totals. So as far as dark horses to win the Super Bowl or, or you know, to go all the way, I, I, I'm not necessarily always high on that kind of stuff just, just yet. I want to see the 53-man roster. I want to see how some of the holdouts take. But I will tell you this. Um, I'm a prisoner of the moment, and it's not because let – me, let, me, let me disclaimer this – just because I'm in Las Vegas, I am not a Raiders fan. I've been here since 1972, but I am a Dallas Cowboys fan since 1976. But I'm a prisoner of the moment right now with the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, I, I think that they have proven that they have an, an ample three-guy uh, rotation in the quarterback room. I think Aiden O'Connell has come out and proved. People can say, yeah, well, they're playing against second and third stringers. Okay, if he's projected to be one, then this is what he's performing against the talent level that he and he's dominating. He's the number one QB rating quarterback in the preseason after a couple of weeks. I like them over six and a half wins. I think it, I think that number is very low from what we've seen, and also because of the defensive secondary, that was a big question mark. And when you have young guys that are scrapping the way that they're scrapping and playing the way that they're playing and and moving all over the field. It's a telling sign that things are – the mood is in an uptick with that team um, at, from every angle. We've yet to really see the starters. So imagine when they put it all together. I think over six and a half wins. Um, I'm a, I, I, 
I didn't realize the Jaguars win total was nine and a half, but um, I'm a little high on that. I, I, I do think that they can get, get there mainly because of their divisional opponents. I'm not sold on Indy, Tennessee, and Houston, whereas as much as I am Jacksonville, I can see them going five and one or four and two against those three teams. So I, I have to wonder if they can pull off a couple of wins, if they can get over the nine and a half mark. The, it's favorite at minus 140. The teams I'm siding against right now are the Vikings and the Panthers. Um, I, I'm not, I think the Vikings are going to have a letdown year because of the fact that last year they, they rode this high road and then they, and they really didn't, they had one of the easiest uh, schedules in the league going, of the postseason teams. And that was proven late in the season when Dallas ripped them to shreds. Um, they just, they didn't play the level of competition that is a, Impressive enough for me to justify their win total. Um, so now it's eight and a half, and they have one of the hardest schedules coming into this season. Um, a couple of the websites that I follow, they have a projected landing right on eight. But it's like the projected win is 8.6. So it's right on the number. And um, I don't know. I just there, There's something about that team that, that I, I'm not clicking with. I'm not vibing with, and I don't. Um, I don't think that they're going to get there. I think that they're going to have a, a bit of a struggle. And with Carolina, I, I'm actually high on the New Orleans Saints. Um, I think that the, it's a, it's it's not necessarily just Derek Carr. I just think when you when you usher in a new era, there's there's sort of a breath of fresh air. Um, and a lot of people are sour on the Buccaneers, and I think they're going to be out to sort of have a chip on their shoulder. They're going to they're going to want to prove that. It, Yes, Tom Brady is the GOAT, but at the same token, we can carry what he started and keep the momentum flowing. Um, so, and then with the Falcons, the Falcons and the Panthers, I, I, I just I think the Falcons are probably better than them. So, I have the Panthers under seven and a half. So, I, at my prisoner of the moment takes with with those with with win totals. Um, the two that I, I I'm kind of high on after the first couple of weeks are the Las Vegas Raiders and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in that if, you know, they're the defending champ. So until you prove me otherwise, then you're going, then they're going to be my favorite as well. So, um, I, I can't overlook the Kansas city chiefs. Um, I don't, I, I don't know what to think about the Philadelphia Eagles yet. And I want to know more about Brock Purdy before I come to a decision on the San Francisco 49ers. I plead the fifth on my Dallas Cowboys because, <laughs> well, I've been disappointed for 40 plus years. There we go. I think that's wise. <laughs> I think that's wise. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I'm a New York Giants fan, so I 100% think that that's wise. Willie, I was actually, we, we, you kind of hinted at it, but I was actually going to ask you about the NFC and the top of the NFC. So I guess we kind of went into my question, but between the Eagles, the 49ers, the Cowboys, those are the teams with the three best odds. Maybe you can hint at who else could potentially join them in that mix uh, at the top three of the NFC. Well, uh, you know, to, to be honest with you, um, I, it would shock me if, if the Giants challenge in the NFC East, I know a lot of people were talking about the commanders because of their preseason looks um, with Sam Howell and, and, and what they've been doing there. Again, breath of fresh air, right? They finally got Daniel Snyder out. They, they've got this new breath of fresh air. But um, 
I think with Saquon Barkley and Darren Waller, I'm a Darren Waller guy. Um, I, I, I'm a big believer in him. I was disappointed. I didn't think the Raiders I did him right. Um, I think that with the right components around Daniel Jones, he doesn't need to be great. So it wouldn't shock me to see um, the, the Giants contend in the NFC East to do so um, that then then it could it could sort of rise in that conference. Um, I'm trying to think up and down the uh, the West outside of the 49ers. I'll tell you one thing. It was two years ago when Geno Smith stepped in for Russell Wilson here in Las Vegas that I was impressed. And I leaned over to a good friend of mine from ESPN and I said, hey, Geno Smith's not done. He's out to prove something. This dude is playing. He's balling. And I think we saw him prove a little something last year. So I would never count Pete Carroll out. Um, I'm a believer in Geno Smith. Right now, I think you have the right three with the Cowboys, 49ers, and Eagles. I just think that there's far too many question marks with each team. Um, And and I think one of the biggest ones is going to be the 49ers with Brock Purdy. I want to know that he's fully recovered. I want to know that he can get out there in in, in a regular season game, take some shots, fire the ball at free will. I mean, I've seen this kid's tenacity, and I've seen his, his mental fortitude in high school when he came here with the Tucson turf seven on 17 at heritage park and played in the pylon national championships. And everybody was high on all these other teams on um, this was a time when Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and Dorian Thompson Robinson, they were all still in high school and they were all knocked out of the competition. And Brock Purdy led the Tucson turf to the championship. And uh, I'll never forget that just because his name stood out. Um, I interviewed him, wrote about it. And um, then he, obviously what he did at Iowa State. So I I, I, I like Brock Purdy. I just want to know that he's fully healthy. It wouldn't shock me to see the 49ers go on a run. Um, and, and it pains me to say that because surprisingly, I actually have no ill will or animosity toward the NFC East components. I actually, uh, my number one team I can't stand is the 49ers ever since. <laughs> the catch with Joe Montana and Dwight Clark. You know, that is one of the connections that Willie and I have. Not only do I love and appreciate old school Las Vegas, and I love to hear the great stories that Willie has while we're enjoying a good meal at Piero's, but uh, we, we are both Cowboys fans. And listen, I mean, people have to understand, you know, uh, there we, we did not have a pro football team for 21 years in Las Vegas, and Willie is, you know, in Las Vegas. I don't need to tell you guys there, there, there was no pro pro football there. So um, happy, by the way, that the Cowboys are going to be coming uh, back to Los Angeles SoFi Stadium. I think they're playing the Chargers. That'll be a Cowboys-heavy game. Again, the Cowboys have a training camp every year up here in um, Oxnard. So, listen, a ton of fans here. GA hates when I say it, but they are America's team GA. So, um, you know, that's, 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 that's just the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Um, all right. Willie, you're the best. We're, we're, we're going to have you back on next week, have you back on more often. I'm, I'm actually heading uh, to Vegas uh, this week, so I will see you soon, my friend. That is all the time we have for today. But, folks, when I'm back with you, I'm going to be in Las Vegas, and we're going to have a good time. So that's all the time we have for today. Let's do it again tomorrow. Until then, this is Arash Markazi saying stay safe. And stay healthy. West side, West side.
This is the Arash Markazi Show on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Hustle for the cash, so it's hard to knock it. Everybody got their own thing. Currency chasing worldwide through the hard times. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.